This is speaking from experience. I think a lot of people get stuck because they have a disconnect from their mind and their body. Welcome to the Living Wild Podcast. You're here to talk about real foods, real ingredients, and you're going to talk about it with real people. Your hosts, Marcy and Jamie, take it away. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Living Wild Podcast. It is your host, Marcy, and unfortunately, Miss Jamie is not here today, but we have a guest, and that is LaDon. LaDon is our sub-co-host. So, LaDon, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hey, guys. Um, usually, I'm right behind the mic and sure everything's all right. Um, usually, I'm a producer here, but right now, I'm hosting, so pretty excited. And our guest is Mr. Joel Runyon, and we are so excited to have him in the studio today. He has an incredible story and just a little bit about him. I don't want to spoil too many things, but he is the founder of Impossible, a business designed to push people to their limits and has raised $300,000 for education and entrepreneurship around the world. So Joel, like I said, I don't want to spoil it too much. Do you want to tell them the rest? <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Where do you want me to start? So Impossible is, uh, like you said, it's a blog and a business designed uh, to help uh, inspire and educate people to push their limits and do something impossible. We like to focus on changing these people's mentalities through physical challenges. And so inspiring them to go take action and then actually uh, helping them go train and go do those things. And then uh, we also talk a lot about like physical fitness, nutrition, and mindset. So there we go. That's the, that's the quick rundown on the mm -hmm. business. So. so tell us about your story, where it all started. Okay. So the background on the site and the business is that uh, uh, I graduated college in 2009 in the middle of recession. So I got mm -hmm. this really expensive piece of paper and I went out to a bunch of places. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go get a job like you're supposed to do. I did all, all the things you're supposed to do. Got good grades, semesters abroad, learned another language, you know, college sports and basically got out in the real world in the middle of the recession and nothing was available. Uh, all the jobs I was trying to apply to that you're supposed to do in a normal, you know, life situation just weren't there for wow. me. And so uh, I basically was unemployed for nine months and living in my parents' basement. And I was seeing all my friends uh, do different things. Some people were getting jobs. Some people were traveling around the world. I had one friend, uh, I was reading a bunch of different blogs at the time. And I had a friend that was going to go visit every single country in the world. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to you know, get a job, but I can't even, you know, I was applying at marketing agencies. I was applying at consultant places. I started applying to places like Starbucks wow. and Starbucks. Went. And so I was sitting wow. in my parents' basement, really feeling bad for myself. And uh, I had all these things I wanted to do and they all seemed seemed impossible. And so I didn't do anything about it for a while. I had this list and I just felt bad for myself and watched Netflix. And so that was like a month and a half or two. And then I mm -hmm. eventually ran out of things to watch on Netflix. And I started looking at my list and all the things still seemed impossible, like getting a job, traveling the world, uh, starting my own business. I didn't really see a way I could do them. But one of the things on the list was run a triathlon. And so I was like, well, there's no excuse. You know, I've, I've got a, all these excuses for why I can't do it, but there's no excuse for me not to go outside, put my shoes on and run around. The, and there's no excuse for me to, you know, get on a bike and, you know, start training. And so I started training for a indoor triathlon and I was so scared. I'd never run more than a 5k at that point. I didn't know anything about that. I'd never known anyone who had done a triathlon. It just sounded interesting to me. And so I went out 
And I started training for this thing and decided I was going to do it. About a month and a half later, I think I actually did the race. It was an indoor triathlon at Lifetime Fitness mm-hmm. uh, because I was scared of an open water swim and I didn't want to drown. So we did the swim in a pool and I finished the race. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, you spent so much time telling yourself that this was impossible and you just did it. If that's the case, then what are the things out there do you currently think are impossible that you might be able to do if you just... I like that. And so that kind of started the start of the blog. And so I started just documenting these things that I was going out and going to try to do, writing about it. Some of them we turn into courses or programs to show other people how to do it. Some of them I was just doing for fun. And then some of them uh, we've done for charity. And so uh, over time, that kind of expanded from running triathlons to running longer distance, half marathons, marathons, getting into ultra marathons, and then doing uh, a bunch of ultra marathon projects for charity. And so, and then the blog turned from just a blog into kind of a business that incubated other businesses. And then also uh, kind of expanded on those concepts of mindset, physicality, and uh, nutrition. I love it. And yeah, and um, we were just talking before we started the podcast about Joel's philosophy on mindsets. And there was a blog article that he recently wrote about video games, but more about how we usually start video games on easy mode and what that means for us as humans. So do you want to share a little bit about that? Because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So the overall arching philosophy of impossible is like basically taking this word and redefining what it means. Because when I was sitting in my parents' basement, everything seemed impossible. And that was like the end. That was like a an obstacle for me. I was like, ah, it's impossible. Why even bother? And over the years, it's kind of morphed into this like correct becomes this impossible becomes the way that like you orient uh, yourself towards challenge. And so um, the idea is instead of, you know, seeing the word impossible and, and quitting, you see the word impossible and then you're like, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to go out and try and do. And so the idea behind hard mode, which was this blog post that I wrote recently was that, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you, if you played video games growing up, I did quite a bit. You, you start out playing video games and you play it on easy mode and it's really, only designed to like let you understand the rules of the game but a lot of people will play easy mode they beat the game on easy, and they think they're really good at the game you know the bad guys die pretty quickly uh your reflexes are super quick you know it's not that difficult it's kind of kind of hard at first but once you get the hang of it uh you're just button mashing mm-hmm. and you're figuring it out and you're killing dominating the game uh, i'm guilty of button mashing yeah when i play with my my boyfriend and i'm like i'm so great i'm so good at this game but it's just passion and you're still on easy mode and i'm probably still on easy mode. but on yeah. rock band i'm on hard there you go level there so, you go so what happens on on easy mode though is like you're not really progressing after a certain level like you, once you figure out the game you are button mashing you're just like you're not really challenging yourself you can kind of check out and you can just play the game without really having to think about much and so there's really only two different things that you can do you know once you kind of get bored with the game you can either like quit and go you know start another game and do that on easy mode and master that on easy mode or you can go back to the start settings and change the difficulty level and what's what happens is when you start changing the difficulty level you start realizing you're not actually that good at the game mm-hmm. you're just playing it on a really easy setting you're not challenging yourself yeah and so what happens is when you change those settings all of a sudden like the bad guys don't die as quick like your reaction times have to improve dramatically and things just get way harder and so the idea when comparing that to life is a lot of people walk around and they're just like hey you know what i'm bored i don't i don't really know like you know everything feels like mundane or routine, or it's not very interesting to them. And uh, they're basically running through their life on easy mode. They figured out, okay, how do I make enough money that I'm not worried about it? It's not like more money than I need, but it's just, it's enough to get by. I'm never really physically challenged 
things are good enough. And they're basically running through things on easy mode and they've convinced themselves that that's like a great life. And the idea is like, well, you know, how do you get out of that? And the way you get out of that is to purposely make things more difficult for yourself. If you're finding that you're bored, if you're finding that, you know, things are routine or mundane, you need to like step up and like go ahead and do hard, difficult things that might be, you know, basically force yourself into hard mode. And so a couple of the examples that I, I gave was uh, like, you know, instead of just doing your normal rounds, like, you know, wear a weighted vest, do weird things in public. I was uh, at an event with Joe DeSena, uh, who runs Spartan Race, and mm-hmm. he walks around with a kettlebell all the time. And uh, I, I saw him at this like fancy event and he's walking around with a kettlebell <laughs> at like this cocktail hour. And I was joking with it. I'm like, I'm kind of jealous of your kettlebell. Uh, and he's like, take the kettlebell. Like you've got it for the evening or whatever. <laughs> and so I took it from him and we went to like this cocktail hour and we're there like five or 10 minutes. Uh, and I'm holding the cocktail or the, the kettlebell for him. And then 10 minutes in, he just bounces. He's gone. Like he got work to do or something uh-huh. like that. He's like, take care of the kettlebell for me, you know, bring yeah. it in the morning. And I'm like, all right. So I walked around for the rest of the day at this like fancy cocktail hour with a kettlebell and it's like a 40 pound kettlebell. It's not anything light. And it's, you know, that's kind of a, a weird thing, but you know, from a social standpoint, like you just have to be okay with walking around with a kettlebell while people were walking around with glasses of champagne and be like, mm-hmm. this is a totally normal thing. And then the other thing is like, it's actually 40 pounds. So it's like, it's actually heavy and you have to force yourself to get stronger over time. And so basically taking ways to purposely make things harder for yourself on a day-to-day basis, if you're finding yourself bored, if you're finding yourself running out of things to do, or just, you know, kind of stuck in a rut, make things difficult, make things challenging for yourself and do things that are hard because those are going to force you to get stronger, to get faster, to get better and, uh, you know, exercise those muscles, whether it's, whether it's caring what other people think about you, whether it's actually like physically working out or, you know, just doing weird things for the sake of doing weird things. It kind of insulates you to, you know, making harder decisions if you need to leave your job or something else down the road. And also... It forces you like, you know, maybe this could be also applied to depression because a lot of times people who are depressed, they're very centered on what is wrong in my life. But would you say that maybe challenging yourself is the key, like finding more ways to challenge yourself in your everyday life could help things like depression because you're you're shifting your focus from uh, how bad my life is to what how can I distract myself and what else can I do? Yeah. So depression is a weird thing because, you know, like I'm not a psychologist mm-hmm. or a doctor like that, but this is one of those things that it's come up more and more over the last, what, 10 or 15 years. And like, things are nicer than ever and more people are unhappy than ever. And we have more stuff. Like it's a, almost like a disease of Epidemic. excess. And it's one of those things that to me, I think a lot of people, and, and this is speaking from experience, I think a lot of people get stuck because they have a disconnect from their mind and their body. And so they're sitting at work all day, they're behind a computer, they're thinking about stuff all the time, but they're never actually like, they're thinking about how things are hard. Like work is hard. Like uh, maybe they're lonely. Maybe, you know, they don't like their boss, but they're all kind of like mental and emotional things that they never actually have a chance to get like to deal with physically. And so like, you know, back in the day, if things were hard, it was like really hungry. You haven't caught an animal in a long time, you know, like you haven't eaten in a while or like you had to go do like physical labor and those are hard, difficult things. But once you're doing physical labor at the end of the day, you lay down and you're exhausted, you're tired, the endorphins are up. Like 
you've done something that's like physically rewarding, even if it's been physically difficult. And what we have now is a lot of things that are like mentally difficult, but not physically rewarding in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for me, when I go out and do, you know, people like talk about meditation and I, I don't like sitting still. I don't like doing float tanks. I don't like just not doing anything all day. And so for me, like meditation is like jumping in an ice bath. And if I can sit in an ice bath for 10 minutes or whatever, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm thinking about surviving that ice bath in the middle of a long run is like, I've solved more problems on a long run than I've count. And so what I always tell people is like the nice part about taking on physically difficult things is that you have reference points in real life. So like if you're in the middle of a hundred K in Antarctica and you're 60 or 70 K in and you can't feel your legs anymore, your feet, you know, you like feel like they can't go any farther and you want to give up. Uh, and then you finish, you can take that same mindset and put it in other areas in your life. And if you're having a hard time at your work or your job or your relationship, and you can say, Hey, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You can point to other places where you also thought you didn't know how you get through it. And then you did. And what that does is let you actually have a better shot at completing those things that are just mentally taxing, but not physically taxing. You point, you point to physical areas where you're like, that was physically difficult. And I still did it anyways. And it gives you reference points. It gives you confidence and it lets you have a better shot of success for that because you're used to knowing that you can do hard things, that you right. can do things that you didn't do. And, uh, and then I'll let you do more things because you're not afraid to try the stuff that you're not sure if you. That's all. That's really, really interesting to me. And I'm just wondering, where do you get this uh, go-getter mindset? Who do you do? What do you attribute it to? Were your parents uh, influential in this way or your brother's friends? Uh, my, yeah, my brother's friends. Yeah, your brothers um, are friends. Specifically. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> now, so, so for me, it's... It's more internal because I'm not always like this. And it's the, have you heard like the tale of the two wolves? No. It's like a. Maybe. It's like a. Remind me. Yeah. It's supposed to be like an old Cherokee tale, but I think it's actually something from like Billy Graham or like there's been a bunch of different people that sourced it. But the idea is like there's two wolves and uh, they fight every single day. One's white, one's dark, or one's black. One's supposed to represent light. The other part is darkness or whatever. And they fight every single day and each day a different one wins. And like a little kid always asks his grandpa, I was like, you know, how do you know which one's going to win? And he says, the one that wins is the one you feed. And so the idea with that is like, you know, I think typically people referring to that as like the good parts of you versus the bad parts of you. For me, it's always like, which part of you, like, you know, there's a lazy, weak, bad version of Joel that's just still sitting on his couch in his parents' basement watching Netflix. And then there's the version of me that's going out and trying to run ultra marathons and doing something worthwhile with my life. And both of them never go away. It's just like, which one is going to be stronger. And so I know when I'm physically doing hard things, when I'm taking cold showers, when I'm running ultra marathons, when I'm working towards specific goals, I'm not just a, not just doing harder things, but I'm actually a better person in general. I get stuck in my head less. I do better at my business. I do better um, in my relationships and I do better in all other areas of life when I'm actually physically taxing myself. And so for me, it's more of like, It's not like just a go-getter mindset. It's more of like, this is how... I better function. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know what it's like to not function like that. And I don't like that version. Of right. And so uh, as much as I'm always trying to, you know, become a better version, I'm also like desperately not trying to be the crappy version of myself. And uh, I know how easy, you know, if you go, you know, you can work out every day for six months, then you take a month off and it reverts so quick. So uh, you're just going to like in a constant fight against getting worse, mm-hmm. if, if nothing else. And uh, I know what the bad version of me looks like and I don't like it. So I don't want to be the crappy version myself. So in part of your mission statement for the rules of impossible, you talk about how impossible is 
not a statement and it's a challenge. Yep. I think that's a really good rule to let your life be governed by. Yeah. And so that comes back to like what I said about reclaiming the word and a lot of people. So in general, I say there's like two things that people get wrong about impossible. They either like <laughs> this, this is actually, this bugs me sometimes. So, so people either say like everything's impossible. So like I'm not even going to bother and try. And there's another set of people that will say they use the Aubrey Hepburn, Hepburn quote, which is uh, everything. Uh, Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Uh, Aubrey. Audrey Hepburn. Audrey. Audrey. Yes, there Aubrey. we go. Um, <laughs> she said, what is it? Uh, nothing's impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. And okay. so there's, there's people that are like, oh, it's all lovey dovey. Like everything's possible, blah, blah, blah. And both of those people annoy me because the impossible aspect like you know quitting seeing impossible as a final statement of like hey that's impossible is like gives you an out to quit without trying anything and people just say oh everything's possible it's you know the word itself says i'm possible it's just like you're not living in reality because there's hard things and there mm-hmm. are like some physical impossibilities but for me impossible is like the correct way to orient yourself in the world it's the correct way to like go after a challenge so if you go after something that's impossible even if you don't achieve it you can still push beyond what you would normally have tried i uh, i was talking to the founder of charity miles which is an app mm-hmm. that uh, lets you donate money for every mile that you run oh, like and it that. has like third parties donate on behalf of cool. you uh, so it's like strava but mm-hmm. with a charity element nice and uh he was saying that it's like you know i've run like 50 milers i don't know if i need to go to like 100 miles so like you know when do you need to stop it's like well you know the fact that you've already pushed past you know you've already done 50 so it's like if you would have just said oh, i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do a marathon i'm doing a half marathon or i'm do something that's like seems relatively possible that's relatively doable you would have never even considered going beyond that but he's already it's like you've pushed yourself all the way to 50 and you're considering now do i need to do 50 miles or 100 miles right. and you're already operating beyond the bounds of what most people would consider realistic or possible and so if you push yourself to go after the impossible even if it's hard even if you fail and there should be like a good like good possibility of you failing like if you're doing out go, going after like a sufficiently impossible mm-hmm. challenge like when i did the you know the seven ultra marathon project I didn't know if I would raise all the money. I didn't know if I could get all, all the places. I didn't know if the logistics would make sense. And I literally didn't know if I could do it. But then in the meantime, I had to become the person that could do it. And so um, if you're, that's why I talk about impossible. It's like, it's not a statement, it's a challenge. And you don't always win every single challenge. You don't always succeed at every challenge. But if you're going after the challenge, that's what matters. And then the story that you get out of that um, in the process is, is kind of what you're, you're looking to achieve even more so than the challenge itself. I like that. And I mean, I feel like it's just an overarching way to take every challenge that you have in life. Like I, I think a lot of people find themselves stuck in a rut. They don't know what the issues are that they're facing, but I like how you said you kind of, when you were sitting in your mom's basement, your parents' basement, you were like, this is my reality, but what can I do to change that? And identifying those first maybe like self myths mm-hmm. is the first step to changing them and rewriting it. Well, and, and even just looking at things differently, like the, I talked about Joe with his kettlebell and right. one of the things I took about that is like, what if I got my own kettlebell and started walking around with it? So I got a kettlebell and I was like walking around like South Austin with it. And normally you'd be like, this is stupid. Why are you carrying a kettlebell around? But like you create a, your own story, you create your own structure around it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like if you have your own structure, if you have your own like mini challenge, even if it's just with yourself, you don't talk to anybody about it. Right. Like 
all of a sudden, like you transform one, what you're capable of, you're doing harder things. You're doing things in public that would be normally considered weird, but you just, right. you've kind of insulated yourself to like not caring what other people think. And how and does it, that feel? It's like, I kind of want you to ask me a question just because I don't care. Like, yeah. I was meeting up with one of my buddies uh, and he always wears like a stethoscope in public or whatever. And he just did it because he was a nervous guy and it was a way for people like, what's the deal with the stethoscope? Uh-huh. And then people would come up to him so he wouldn't have to talk to people. Right. Or he wouldn't have to initiate, but he'd, he'd be able to talk to new people and have those conversations. And so I actually met him for coffee one time and I brought my kettlebell and I'm like, Benny, I think I outdid you with the <laughs> random object with that you're bringing around. Yeah. But what, what's funny about that is like, you think everybody, like this is one of those things People live in their heads, not their bodies. And so everybody thinks, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry this thing around. And everybody's going to be looking at me or I'm going to wear this thing and everybody's going to be looking at me or I'm going to try this new thing and everybody's going to watch me screw up. Mm-hmm. And you realize nobody cares. Like, like people care, but nobody's, you might get a couple looks. Most people aren't going to say anything. Uh, most people are too busy with other stuff happening. And there's no, re- like the social pressure to like not do something is a really stupid reason to not go after hard things or yeah. difficult things or, you know, things that you want in life. Or do things that make you just happy. Yeah. Like sometimes in public, you know, um, I'll be happy about something and I want to do a little dance. Yeah. And I actually did it the other day yeah. and I was proud of myself because it was, I forgot what I was happy about. I, I, I maybe it was something to do with work, but I got an email and I was just like super happy. And I was like, I feel like there's people around and that'd be so weird. Yeah. I just started dancing, but I did it and life moved on. People like looked at me a little bit, but it felt really good for me to be authentic to myself. And there's a theory in psychology. It's about the inner child. Are you familiar with it? I've heard this a little bit before. So it's about nurturing your inner child. And, you know, a child is someone who is not aware of the social constructs that as adults are aware of that yeah. tell us that we it's weird to do these things or this is not acceptable socially. And and by connecting with your inner child, you like studies have shown that depression rates have gone up and um, anxiety. I mean, depression rates have gone down, excuse me. Yep. So, so as anxiety, and that's because your feet, you're nurturing what we as adults are told, you know, we can't, we can't nurture anymore. If yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So typically the way I, I talk about this stuff is like, that's like on like one and eventually get to the same place. That's like a slightly woo side of, of my take on it. But it's, it's the same concept where it's like, why do you care what all these other people say? Mm-hmm. Like why, why are, was someone else's random opinion that theory would say like, you know, as a child, you didn't really care what other people mm-hmm. thought you just did whatever you wanted to do. And you know, you let your actual response show out. And for me, it's just like, who are these people that like, you really care about their opinion enough to like, let well, them stop you from going after what you want. It's, it's woo to you, but that's because you've already gotten to this point yeah. where you are aware of your psychological yeah. You know, no, so so I actually don't have a problem with it. It's just like a different. It's a messaging type uh, that like is is totally valid and useful for a specific audience. And for me, it's like I, I respond much better to like just do just it, just do it, right? Like get over yourself, totally. And that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying is like that's because that, but that's because you've done a lot of whether you realize it or not, you've done a lot of hard psychological work to get to that point. To get to the point of just saying, I'm just going to do it. Yep. A lot of people, they have to dig really deep yep. and find their personal biases and myths that they tell themselves every day about why they can't do things before they can get to the point of, 
I'm just going to do it. Yeah. You know? And and that's why I like having physical challenges because it forces you to like take these things that are just in your totally. head and you make them physical. You make them real. Uh, one of the things I talk about is, uh, is cold shower therapy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people talk about, Hey, you know, I say, I say, you know, go do hard things, marathons, ultra marathons, you know, jump off of, you know, everybody talks about like, take a leap and right. it's like, okay, go bungee jumping, go do something you're scared yeah. of in real life. And a lot of people, you know, they have reasons for why they can't run a marathon. Maybe they're, you know, hundred pounds overweight. Maybe they need 16 to 20 weeks to train for a marathon. Right. So there's legitimate reasons why some people can't do those types of physical taxing things. But for cold shower therapy, the idea is, uh, this is something that everybody can. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that every single morning, everybody takes a shower, hopefully. Right. And everybody does the normal, easy, comfortable thing, which is they turn the water to hot and they yeah. take a hot shower. And it's easy and it's comfortable and it's the normal choice, but it's a choice. And the other option is you can turn it to cold. You can turn it to freezing cold and it's, take a freezing cold shower. Right. And there's, it's uncomfortable. Not many people are going to do it and it's not very much fun. And if you take the challenge, it's 30 days of cold showers. And what you realize is like the first couple of times you go do it, you're standing naked in the shower. You're looking at the, the dial and all you're thinking is like, this is, this is stupid. This is no fun. This, I hate Joel. This is a terrible <laughs> idea. Um, you know, this is, there's no point to this. And your brain just starts coming up with all these excuses of why you shouldn't do it. And if you end up doing it, you realize like you, you can, you know, scream your lungs out at first, right? but then you finish it and it's five minutes. And the first 30 seconds are really bad. Your, your chest tightens up. Uh, it's real tough. But after five minutes, like you get out, you dry off and nothing bad happened. Yeah. You're just cold for five minutes. Yeah. You're just uncomfortable. Yeah. And the idea is, is if you can't be uncomfortable for five minutes and well, a couple things. So after you do that a couple of times, you start realizing that's the same voice in the shower that happens in every other area of your life. If you're like, I'm going to go start right. this business, I'm going to run this, this, uh, I'm going to run this marathon. I'm going to do something else. That same voice pops up and the voice isn't actually helpful. It's not useful and it's not correct. It's just trying to keep you from doing something that's slightly scary. But what you realize is like when you get out of the shower and you're not, you know, permanently damaged, you're just cold and uncomfortable for five minutes. Yeah. And then afterwards you feel like a million bucks and the rest of the day starts to get easier. Right. And so the idea is if you can't take on the hard things on your own and you can't teach yourself to be uncomfortable when there's no one else around and there's no like long-term consequences. How are you ever going to be able to do that in other areas of your life? Mm -hmm. And so uh, for me, it's just like everybody tries to, you know, deal with these things in their head. And if you can take these mental ideas, make them physical, give yourself real life experiences where you're like, Hey, that was hard. And I did it anyways. And that was hard. And I did it anyways. Then when it comes back to these other things where it's like, you know, business, relationships, other things that are, are more mentally taxing. You can use those physical reference points where you're like, Hey, that was hard. And I did it anyways. And I got through it and I'm better now. And whether that's cold showers, whether that's doing physically scary things or just, you know, hard physical challenges, they all bleed over into other areas of life. And so that's, that's what I like doing because when you're just trying to deal with it all in your head, it's just too much. People get overwhelmed and more of our lives than ever are just on our phones or on our computers or something else. And it's like, get out of your head, and right. get into your body. What are some of the, I mean, you've had a lot of physical challenges that you've endured and challenged yourself to. What are some of like, give us the top three that have been biggest, most monumental and uh, influential in your life that you live today? Oh, so I would say the biggest one was like the indoor triathlon, which is like 
pretty small. It's not actually physically <laughs> yeah. difficult. Interesting. But it was the first thing that I realized I could do something. It's again, it's 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 less about the magnitude of some of this stuff and it's more about what they mean. It's like every time I looked at the person that I was before that race right. and who I was It was the first it, step. Yeah, like thirty seconds after and I realized, oh, like I don't have to confine myself to what I I think I'm capable of. Um, the 777 project where I ran seven ultra marathons on seven continents and we built seven schools. Uh, I remember signing up for that and thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And I also remember thinking, uh, like I, w- I was actually scared of that. I was like, but once I had the idea, I couldn't not do it. And so I realized I was like, I was like, oh, I guess I got, I got to figure out how. So that was a an overall challenge. That was like, it, it made me reframe how I was going to approach any of this. And then uh, I would say either an, like the Antarctica 100K that I ran, or there's a a race I did in Finland in the basically the Arctic Circle, wow. where like Antarctica was more of an experience, and then the Finland race was like a survival experience. So wait, what what time of year was it? So Antarctica was in it was summer in Antarctica, uh-huh. but it was end of January. Okay. And so it was light out year round. And, right. Um, that was, that was just a surreal experience because there are only 10 people running the race and you're out in the middle of Antarctica and it's a loop. It's a 10 K loop that you run 10 times and you don't see anybody the whole race. Yeah. Like you come back through base camp every 10 K. And so, you know, you see people there, but you know, for the, the rest of the time where you're out on the course, you don't see anyone. Um, so that was surreal and like, it was really hard and difficult, but the whole time I just told myself, like, you came all the way to Antarctica to run this race. You're not, you're not, not finishing this race. Yeah. Like you're definitely finishing this race. Um, and then the Arctic race was in it was about like a month later in February in the North of Finland. And that one was just like, uh, that was just like one of those testing races where it's like, I got lost. I ran out of water. I had to eat snow to like hydrate. Wow, um, yeah. I, uh, I thought I broke my foot at the end of the race. Like that was Patagonia. No, no, oh. no. So Finland, I, I thought I broke my okay, foot. Okay. Um, Patagonia, I like almost tore my peroneal tendon 26 miles in and then limped another 14 miles after oh, that. Wow. So yeah, there, there's been a couple <laughs> different races, but you know, the, the, the thing I like about ultra marathons is that they start when most other races end. So in ultra marathons, anything farther than normal marathon, once 90% of the population has run as far as they'll ever go, that's when like ultra marathons start. Mm. So that's when like, that's when the test mm. begins. And the other thing is just the amount of races in the ultra marathon community that are just straight up adventures and crazy. Like that's what I like because we were talking earlier that I don't think about myself as a runner. I don't really like running very much, but I like what running gives me. I like uh, the mental clarity. I like the problems that I solve out on a run. And then I also like, uh, I like the places you can go, the things that you can see and uh, the challenges that it forces you to overcome with yourself where there's not gear involved. There's not anything else involved. It's just you and the race. What do you think about music? So listening to music on runs. So it definitely helps. I tricked myself into running because I started running because of triathlons. Mm -hmm. So I started getting into longer and longer triathlons with a lot of triathlons. You can't listen to music because they don't want wires and cords everywhere. And so for a lot of triathlons, you're not allowed to listen to music. And so as I started running farther and farther, I wasn't listening to music normally. And so typically when I run, I'm not listening to anything. I'm just hearing my own thoughts. Music definitely helps. And so, you know, if I'm doing training runs right now, I'll typically listen to music, a lot of like gangster rap and like, whatever. But yeah. yeah, typically, you know, on all those long runs that I was doing and all the races that I was doing, I wasn't, it was just me right. and uh, me making up 
like I said, uh, solving a lot of problems in my head, thinking through things with my business, thinking through things with the race. It's as much meditation for me right. when I'm out there as it is is running. I completely agree. I actually, I like running for that reason as well, because when I'm running, I'll put on, I will listen to music, but I find that I kind of like start to tune it out mm-hmm. and focus, especially when I, I used to run further than two miles. Yeah. Like actually I used to run 10 Ks okay. at least like twice a week. Okay. And during those times when I'd reach like, you know, after like three miles, I would find myself focusing. I had to focus on my breath because I had to, you know, sustain for the rest of the case. Yep. So that was very meditative yeah. for me as well. Yeah. For a lot of that stuff, it's just, it's nice to, again, screens are everywhere for people. And yeah. the more and more like I have like an adversarial relationship with my phone and my computer. I'm like, I, I've looked at my phone before and I, I've been like, I don't, I don't like you. <laughs> and I'm actually happier when the phone is in like a different place. Like yeah. uh, if I'm in you know my office and the phone is in a different room than me, like I'm actually physically happier, which is, I'm not just more productive. I'm like happier, which is weird. And so it's kind of nice sometimes just to like to leave the phone at home, right. take your watch, go out for the run and have that break uh, where you're not like, Checking. checking in on what other other people are doing, making sure that, you know, checking your emails. It's like, yeah. you don't need that. Just like go out, be alone. It's fine. Don't rob yourself of the the good thing you're trying to yeah. do for yourself. Just be, just be doing the thing that you're doing. Yeah. Instead of always like, you know, one of the jokes I, I'll make is like, if somebody pulls out their phone in like the middle of dinner or something like you just ask them, how's the internet going right now? <laughs> is the internet okay? I like that. Are we worried about the internet? Is everybody right. okay? I was, you know, we went 20 minutes without checking. So thank you for you know, making good. sure everybody's okay. I'm going to start that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start saying that because it drives me crazy yeah. too. And it's like, there's no reason for it. And it's like, you know, be where you are. Right. And that sounds like a little bit like, you know, monkish or, you know, like <laughs> that sounds a little meditative, but uh, that's the nice thing about, you know, races, especially, especially some of these ultra marathons, like you're in the middle of nowhere. There's right. no cell service. You might not like bring your phone in case you get, you know, you know, stranded, but you're not bringing your phone to like, you know, check up on social media in your middle of your race. It's like you're, you're there to race. Totally. So, um, we've talked a little bit about impossible and what it stands for, but can you tell us a little bit about all of the resources that it offers? And I read that an app is coming out or TV. It says uh, impossible TV coming soon. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, one of the things that we're trying to do a lot more is uh, up till now, a lot of the like, inspirational content from the possible has come from uh, the blog side of things. And so one of the things we're trying to do uh, this year is do a lot more media type production. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we did a shoot out in Iceland earlier this year mm-hmm. um, and basically taking a lot of the blog posts, a lot of the concepts that we've talked about, a lot of the like the mental challenges and games and turning them from just blog posts and you know written challenges and turning them into media and visual either short films or like you know one-off uh shorts here and there and so uh that's what's coming with impossible tv we have uh basically i have a couple different trailers that we've shot um we have um you know things like hard mode i want to like turn into like a short two to five minute video that people can digest in that type of way and um that's just kind of one area that we want to do a lot more stuff in. And so with Impossible, the goal is basically uh, inspire people, push their limits, train them to actually go on and take on those physical challenges, uh, create products that help fuel them 
down the road mm-hmm. and then um, create apparel and gear that like they can wear while go going to do their right. impossible things. So we have people that have taken their shirts all over the world, um, you know, run their marathons in them, uh, jumped off bridges, out of planes, right. uh, all sorts of different athletic feats and stuff. And so we want impossible to not just be inspirational, but we want it to be actionable mm-hmm. and have people, um, you know, not just consume information or, you know, consume a blog post or watch a video, but we want to actually make it accessible, eliminate their excuses to go out and do something with their life. And so one of the the tools, we've had a few, several thousand people uh, have created their own impossible list, which is kind of a, a framework for going after hard, difficult things in your life and kind of taking things to the next step. After each of those, uh, we have several uh, physical training programs. Uh, we're coming out with more. And we're doing a lot of media stuff, hopefully this summer too. So that's what's going on with Impossible. And then we have a couple different apps as well. So we have uh, MoveWell, which is a movement and a mobility recovery app. So the idea is that you can push yourself much farther and you can train much harder than most people think they can. But a phrase I've seen a couple different places and we've kind of adopted it is there's no such thing as overtraining, just under recovery. And so uh, the idea with MoveWell was that after I busted my tendon in Patagonia, I was doing a bunch of rehab trying to get back to back to good. And when I was in physical therapy, I'd be great, but I go home and I have my foam roller and I'd be like, I don't know what hell to do with this. And I know I'm supposed to do some stuff, but there was never any like good guidelines for me. And so we basically built MoveWell to have prescriptive routines of specific movement and mobility movements for people's specific issues. So if you have lower back pain, here's an eight minute routine on what you can do for that. If you've got, you know, like you're prepping for squat, you're Mm -hmm. trying to get ready for a race, trying to build out as many routines as we possibly can to really customize movement, mobility, and recovery work for your specific goals. So you can train harder, you can push your limits, and then recover well on on the back end of it. So many great resources. It's it's just great. So for people who are feeling stuck in their lives and don't really know what to do next, you know, similar to or in your basement, what are three pieces of advice you'd give them? So typically I say, uh, take cold showers because it's going to change mentally how you feel. Like there's actually like studies on cold water and depression and what it does Mm -hmm. from an endorphin level. But for me, from a a mental perspective of, oh, you can actually lean into hard things and do it. Cold showers are kind of a a game changer. I would say sign up for a one physically taxing event, whatever that is to you. If that's a 5k, if that's a marathon, if that's something, put a deadline on it and like commit to it monetarily. All of a sudden you give yourself something to look forward to and you have something that like all of a sudden you have to you have to start training for. And then the third thing is do something in your daily life that like make things if you're bored and you're finding yourself like kind of, you know, you get to that point where you can drive to work and you're checked out because you do it every single day and you drove to work, but you forgot about all the driving aspect. Like you you forgot how you got there. You're just like, oh, I'm at work because I'm on autopilot. And so if people are in that space, like do something weird that like forces you to be present on a daily basis. You know, recently, like I, I literally started, sorry, Joe, but I stole your kettlebell idea and I'm walking around with a kettlebell to like the coffee shop and I've ordered coffee with a kettlebell in my hand a lot of times and nobody asked me about it, but it's like, to me, I have to be more present for that daily stuff. And I, I got a, got a weighted vest the other day and I'm going to start like adding that to my workouts and making things a little bit more difficult and, you know, maybe wearing that around like during the day. That's a weird thing. Mm -hmm. But like, for me, it's a small way to like make things a little bit more difficult and change things up in a way that like, for me is a little bit more physically taxing. And so it changes uh, your outlook on all aspects of life. Yeah. And, and it forces you to like, even if nobody else cares, like you're thinking about what you're doing more on a daily basis. And so there's that. And then, um, I guess I have more than three, but yeah, I would say sure. check out like our impossible list resources on, on building on impossible list and, you know, not just signing up for 
for one event, but like figuring out how, like, okay, once you do that one event, what are the next things that you can do? And how do you, how do you create challenges in different areas of your life you can go after? So, um, yeah. I like that. And if people want to find you, where should they find you? So they can find me at, uh, impossible is at impossiblehq.com, HQ, like in headquarters. And then, uh, Impossible HQ on all of our social media. And then I'm at, at Joel Runyon on Instagram and Twitter, probably the best places to find me. Well, we have enjoyed this so much. I love having you here and sharing your thoughts. Very inspiring. And I'm going to continue to read your blog and appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. This has been great. This is just a quick reminder that the members of the Living Wild podcast team are not medical professionals. They are not doctors. They are not nutritionists or dietitians. They are here to provide entertainment for you and give you a perspective on their thoughts and their feelings. So please, before making any radical changes in your diet, do your own research and also consult a licensed medical professional and stay wild. <laughs>